This is Tanakhcast. Welcome back to Tanakhcast. This is episode 100. We'll begin with a brief summation of Isaiah chapters 40 through 43 and follow with a consideration of idolatrizing with special guests, my kids, Ma'ayan, Hila, and Tal mendelssohn Aviv. Chapter 40 in the book of Isaiah, or should I say Deutero-Isaiah, is one of those chapters like the tasting menu featured in episode 98, where a series of statements and motifs are strung together or linked together around a central theme. But the links, the connective tissue... Can I mix any more metaphors here? They all kind of blend into each other, so it's hard to distinguish between the various prophecies or sections or even stanzas within a single prophecy. Scholars have looked at this part of Isaiah chapters 40 through 51, but especially chapters 40 through 48, and identified 70 potentially distinct prophecies. In this chapter, in the first eight verses, we see what could be a template for the prophet's call to prophecy, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel present visions whereby God reveals himself to the prophet and summons him to what is arguably the world's crappiest job. Verse 3, quote, A voice rings out clear in the desert, a road for the Lord. Verses 6 and 7, quote, A voice rings out, proclaim. A voice asks, What shall I proclaim? All flesh is grass, all its goodness like flowers in the field. Grass withers, flowers fade, when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Which is to say, Ishayahu would proclaim. But what should he say that a person could effectively relay? Humans, mortals, cannot speak God's words without withering away. Is this a form of refusal? Well, it sure sounds like it. And God replies, verses 7 and 8, quote, Indeed, man is but grass, grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God is always fulfilled. Ishayahu proceeds to set out how truly glorious God is, especially in light of how idolatry is. Complete and total loser. There is no prophet who takes idolatry to the woodshed as much as Deutero-Isaiah, or shall I say Deutero-Yeshayahu. Yeshayahu had issues with idolatry as an act of vanity and pride. I discussed this in episode 97. For him, philosophically, idolatry was an expression of hubris, and what truly worried Yeshayahu was that idolatry offered a tantalizing alternative to the correct path, the divine path. Not so for Deutero Yeshayahu. For him, idolatry is for... Donkey-brained? It means to have the brains of a donkey or a donkey-type creature. I mean, real morons. Even though they're practical for picking mulberry for wood that won't rot so quickly, but really? Quote, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Have you not been told from the very first? Have you not discerned how the earth was founded? just sad, really. But Deutero Yeshayahu might be missing something. The idolaters did not actually think that the idol was their god. Theirs is not a fetish in the literal sense, but Deutero Yeshayahu is making a bigger point here. And for that, he's going to indulge in a little caricature to emphasize how lacking idolatry is of any seriousness. In other words, idolatry should not be considered seriously. This straight-up dissing of idolatry takes on another dimension in the subsequent chapter, when he puts idolatry on trial. The closing section of chapter 40 is a pep talk where Yeshayahu offers encouragement to the downtrodden people. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. 
It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. This consoling tone continues in chapter 41, where Deuteronomy Yeshayahu tells the people of Israel that despite all the difficulties and tribulations, quote, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not frightened, for I am your God. I strengthen you and I help you. I uphold you with my victorious right hand. In verse 21, the tone shifts to, quote, Submit your case, says the Lord. Offer your pleas, says the king of Jacob. Let them approach and tell us what will happen. Who is them? Well, verse 23 resolves that mystery. Do anything good or bad that we may be awed and see. Why, you are less than nothing. Your effect is less than nullity. One who chooses you is an abomination. Them is the idols. Deuteronomy Yeshayahu will return to this image of the divine court later in chapter 43 when the nations are summoned to testify. Keep in mind that in the post-exilic time of Deuteronomy Yeshayahu, the Jews had recently experienced living in a polytheistic society where worship of idols was state religion. Tantalizing indeed. In the land of Israel, what do the Jews have to contend with? Sad minor league Canaanite deities? But still, idolatry was a sincere option. Hence, the dramatization of the courtroom where verdicts are unequivocal and the idols are guilty of all charges. Chapter 42 is an ode to the servant of God. The servant is the chosen one who shall teach the nations the true way and will not perish until he succeeds in his mission. Quote, I am the Lord in my grace have summoned you and I have grasped you and appointed you a covenant people, a light of nations, opening eyes deprived of light. But the sudden shift to speaking of you, plural, raises some questions about the identity of the servant of God. Is he a man or a people? Is he Jesus? The Gospel of John thinks so. Recounting the many signs Jesus presents before the Jews in chapter 12, quote, They still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Quote, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, quote, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Jewish commentators were split on this question, not whether the servant of, was Jesus. They were in agreement about that one, as in no. But was this servant a figure from the past or the present, or the Mashiach that is yet to come? Was it Moshe or Yirmiyahu or King Yoshiah? Maybe it was Tzidkiyahu. Maybe it was Zerubbabel ben Shaltiel, the leader of the first wave of returnees to Zion in 538 BCE. Hmm, well, probably not. In the end, the servant of God is probably the prophet himself. Deuteronomy Yeshayahu continues even more triumphantly, quote, See the things once predicted have come, and now I foretell new things. Announce to you, ere they sprout up, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. But Israel still does not listen, and for that they will be punished. Chapter 43 returns to the theme of the court, but this time all the nations are assembled and called to testify, quote, Who among them declared this, foretold to us the things that have happened? Let them produce their witnesses and be vindicated, that men hearing them may say, It is true. 
But here, the witnesses are you, the servant of God, the people of Israel, to testify that God is the only God. And God will redeem the Jews like he did back in the day, smashing Babylon or making dry land in the midst of the Reed Sea or leading them on a path through the wilderness. And yet despite all of God's effort and saving and miracles, the Jews still do not listen. Quote, you have wearied me with your iniquities. It is I who, for my own sake, wipe your transgressions away and remember your sins no more. Well, isn't that special? But even then, Deutero Yeshayahu deploys the courtroom again. Quote, help me remember. Let us join in argument. Tell your version that you may be vindicated. However, despite the best, most eloquent defense, the people cannot escape the fact that their ancestors really were sinners and got what they deserved. Thus endeth the summation and beginneth the consideration with our special guests. This is one long blooper reel. Welcome to Tanakhcast, guys, the 100th episode. Introduce yourselves to my vast audience. <laughs> Hello! Hi. My name is Hila. I am Dan's daughter. She's the middle one. I am the middle one. Yes, you've been on Tanakhcast before. We had a choice quote from you. Um, uh, hello, everyone. I am Tal. I am Dan's youngest Okay, I don't child. think we should refer to him as Dan. You can, you can, and son, I also have been telling you which chapter and episode you were on at the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. Hi, everybody. I am Dan's favorite daughter, Mayan, <laughs> and child. Um, and I also would like to give a shout out to Jacob Schreider if you're listening to this. Dan says hi, and he's still your BFF. I'm just going to edit all that out. <laughs> okay. No, I feel like that's really necessary. It is necessary. So thanks for that, that little shout out to Jacob Schreier. Topic at hand today is actually idolatry. And before we, let's do a quick whip around. When I say idolatry, what, what do you think it means? What do you think it means? Let's start with Tal. What do you think it means when I say idolatry? Well, personally, I think it means people who... Um, um, pray to idols as if they were actual physical, like, beings and humans. What about you, Hila? I think that idolatry is idling these statues or paintings or maybe just a concept of something that we feel strongly and good towards. Very good. Mayan? Okay, so I think that idolatry is... In my belief, idolatry... Don't, don't, don't laugh at me. You can edit this out so I can go on for as long as I want ranting I'm not, about I'm not the I'm not going to spend nine hours editing out all your silly comments. So go. Three, <laughs> two, one. I think that idolatry is the uh, belief in idols. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. So I guess the question, or the idea that emerges from this uh, section of Sefer Yeshayahu, like second Isaiah, is that Yeshayahu really has it out for idolatry. He, he, he like mocks openly people who worship idols. Now, because I mean, it, it, it's, it, he does have a point. I mean, people who, who kneel down you know, before a wooden sculpture or, or a statue or I don't even know what and say, this is our God, 
it's clearly not. But there's something else going on there, which we can talk about later. But I guess the burning question that I wanted you guys to talk about for a little bit is, well, do you have to have that wooden statue or sculpture or stone statue or sculpture for it to be idolatry? Tal, what do you think? I think you definitely have to have it unless you all think, well, any of you, you have your own opinions, think that idols don't have to be physical. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you so, think? So... I don't know about the question. <laughs> the question was, do you think the idol has to physically be there do for you, it to be right, idolatry? Yeah. Okay. I think it's just the concept. If you're able to grasp that concept, then I think that it's just in your mind. So, you no, know, you do not need it. But some people prefer just to see it. Can you, you know? give me an example of what you mean? Well, possibly, like, some Hindi people may take little statues and candles and they may meditate in front of them as idols. And that but... may help them think of them and I idolatrize them better. Interesting word. Idolize? <laughs> But are, they, but, but are they praying to the statue, or are they using the statue to help them focus their meditation? Yeah, I think that they're really using it as a symbol. They are praying not to the statue, but they are using that to send it straight up. Mm-hmm. Ryan. I think that you have to think about what an idol con- uh, what constitutes an idol. And so if you believe that an idol has to be a, a, like a physical, tangible thing, then then the idol would have to be there. But if you think that the idol is just a representation of uh, the god that they believe in, then technically no. And it, then you could say that Judaism has idols as well because um, often Abraham would build, um, for example, Mizbachim or sacrificial altars. Or now we have um, a place that's a special place to keep the Torah and each shul that has to be there if we're going to pray to God. Mm-hmm. So I think that you have to decide what exactly an idol is before you can proceed. But I think that if you believe that it's only the physical object and rather than a representation of the god itself, or that the object is the god, then yes, the object would have to be there. Mm-hmm. So earlier in, in, in Yeshayahu, Yeshayahu also like attacks idolatry. But in that attack, in an earlier attack, he says that the reason why idols are bad is because it's a symbol of pride. That basically... The maker of the idol is sort of saying, hey, everyone, look at what I made. And then and, and this is like a way for humans to focus more on themselves and on their own like ego, their own achievements, than focus on God. So I'm going to sort of, with that little piece of information added to our discussion, go back and ask the same question again. Like, can you, can you worship an idol even though there's no actual physical idol there? Like, can you worship, let's say, yourself? And your accomplishments, can you worship money or in power? It, can that be an idol? Well, I think it's just an idea. It's a thing in your head. It is simple, simply a thing that is in your mind. If you, like, let's say you would like to idolize yourself. Maybe you ordered online a bobblehead of yourself. Then that might just be can i just can i just can i just cut in here for a second 
Roasted! What do you mean roasted? <laughs> I didn't order that bobblehead for myself. It was a gift. Still roasted! What Stop. do you mean still roasted? Still oh my roasted. goodness. So, I'm editing all that out. Anyway, go on. <laughs> so, just... Bobblehead of myself. In go the case with the bobblehead of yourself on it. Okay. It may just help... It may just be there to help you. I don't think... At all. Some people may disagree, but I don't think it's really there to represent the idol. Mm-hmm. It's just there to simply help your mind understand it, because it kind of is a big thing. And the human mind is it's complex in certain ways, but can't really, you know, figure mm-hmm. those kinds of things out. So then, but so then Yeshayahu like attacks that. He says it's a terrible thing. It's the worst thing ever. Like the whole Torah, like they always go on and on and on about. Idols are bad. Idols are bad. If you worship idols, God will smite you and punish you and destroy you. And cut your send, soul off from the nation. Cut your soul off from the nation. Send you, send you, you know, away from your homeland. Like all these terrible things will happen to you if you if you worship idols. And what you're but saying? He's a hypocrite. No, no, no. I'm just he's a okay. hypocrite. Why? What do you mean he's a hypocrite? <laughs> because if he's saying don't do that, but he still wants us to idolize him, because that's what basically we're doing. When you go to synagogue, that is what you are doing. Really? You're taking this book and you are saying, thank you for this, thank you for this, I am praying to you, I am praying to you, God, not anyone else, just you. Well, that is idolizing. Well, you and know. he's saying, do that. Yeah, you do that. That is being a hypocrite. Hmm. That's a pretty serious accusation. I mean, prophets didn't have a didn't have a good time of it anyway. Like they they it's a pretty lousy job, but now you're adding to that, that that the prophet is a hypocrite because he wants us to focus on God and not on idols. And then the you, God... so you're saying the focusing on God is a form of idolatry. Yes. Well, then how are you supposed to like have a meaningful relationship with God if if you focus on I don't know you go to shul and you sit down and you look at the the ark and you see the lovely curtain in front of it the parochet and you focus on that while you pray you're saying that's a form of idolatry. Yes, maybe you're thinking about God while you are doing that. So then, what should you do? Instead, how would you worship God without being idolatrous? I don't think there's anything wrong with being idolatrous. Oh, you don't. Ta, what do you think? Um, I think that when you, if you, like, get up to say your morning prayer, you have nothing physical around you to specially, like, emphasize that prayer. You just, you just say it. So, that's a form where you can't, where you don't idolatrize, but you still say thank you to God. Mm-hmm. Manny, what about you? I Did say, I wake you from your nap? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I say that Hiran is definitely, um, I definitely agree with Hiran on certain things, but I think that idolatry is like a very umbrella term, and that if you want to, if you want to say don't idolatrize in the Torah, like there's a lot of general laws with like that, and then we have the Mishnah to break them down. So I'm not sure if I can't confirm or deny if the idolatry is a big thing in the Mishnah, but I feel like it should be, or at least like in a new version of the Talmud or the Mishnah, because because we have those books to try and help us specify about the law. But if we think that um, having worshiping God as a form of idolatry, then we should definitely specify exactly what we're supposed to not do and we're supposed to do so we clear up that little gray area we got there. Well, they did. They do. They do clear that up in the in the commandments, right? They say you shouldn't have any graven images. You shouldn't have any physical you know, objects that are an object of worship. 
Yeah, but, that brings us full circle to the fact that an idol might not have to be tangible. And and isn't the Torah a physical object? Right, well, we don't well, we don't worship it. We don't like we don't. you know bring the Torah out and everyone bows down and says, "Oh, special Torah, we love you so much." But we no, do. that is resent. God gave that, us that Torah. Okay. It's not part of God. It's not like a those uh, things in Harry Potter where he splits himself. It's not one of those. It's a Horcrux. Called yes, horcrux. it's not a Horcrux. <laughs> That's not part of God. It's only just something God gave us mm-hmm. to help us connect to God or and just follow it. Mm-hmm. It's not there to represent God. It's there to help us connect with God. Right, so that's not idolatrous. Like, what yes. you're saying but is that... Idol, idols are often used for that, to help you connect to a God because it's a representation. But God gave us the Torah not for that purpose. But I'm not talking specifically about the Torah. I'm, sp- I'm saying... That, that idols are usually used to help represent the God, so you have something physical to kind of look at when you think about God. Mm-hmm. But if we're not supposed to make... If we're, but even if you don't need something to look at when you think about God, then you might still be idolizing. Like, you have, like, an image in your head, and if you're thinking about it in your head, then could you make idols, A, in your imagination, and B, again, like, does an idol have to be tangible? Well, you can make anything in your head, actually, but that does not mean it's real, it has to be real, or it even is in your brain. It could actually not be in your brain. So. But, but what if instead of using a, a big giant seated statue of Zeus to help me focus my prayers, I'm actually using a prayer itself to help me focus my prayers? Like Again, like, what I'm trying to get a sense That's of here... That's not necessarily you know, idolatry. It's not idolatry. Because if, if I say a word, like I'm saying right now, mm-hmm. that could you stick your hand out and grab it? No. Exactly. It's not physical. So... I am saying that for an idol to idolatrize something... I'm really liking this word, idolatrize. Go on. To idolatrize something... <laughs> three, two... No, no, we're still to going. To idolatrize something... <laughs> to idolatrize something, it has to be physical. It has to be physical to idolatrize something. Okay. Because in... It may or not. Uh, there are different ways you can idolatrize it. Mm-hmm. It can be. You could just be using that to connect. You can. You can actually believe it's kind of like a horcrux. That's the killing part. Horcrux. And, and it's part of God. But mm-hmm. you can also believe it isn't. You can also just believe that it is gonna help you connect more. It's very much different for everyone. So I'm not really. I'm saying. It's physical. When you're idolizing something, it's physical. But if it's in your mind, if you're just praying, that does not have to be physical. Thank you, everyone. This is a... Oh, I have a question. I'm going to give... give, a special ending. Okay, so we're going to do just a a quick whip around for just some last-minute thoughts or comments about what we talked about here on our special 100th episode of TanakhCast. And we'll just go a quick whip, starting with Tal. Tal, go. Well, I think that when you idolatrize something, it has to be something you can, like, pray to or bow down to. For example, a statue. That is, that is idolatrized. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, like, if you're, if you bow down to a wooden carving, that, that is idolatrized. And, but the 
the Asidur is an idolatrized. You don't bow down to a Asidur. You don't pray to a Asidur. You use it to pray to God. Okay, Hila, what do you think? Last last words here. Well, always use Harry Potter references when talking about the Torah. Excellent. And Mayan. Okay, I have like a couple things that I need to say here, so don't cut me off. I can just... Okay, no, shush, shush, shush. No, okay, fine, okay. fine, fine, fine. You have the floor. Go. So, number one. I'm going to leave you with this really annoying thing that teachers do where they just don't answer your questions and instead ask you their own questions. So, does an idol have to be tangible? Is God an idol? Also, if my dad cuts out this part, shout out to Jacob Schreider, his BFF. <laughs> and number three, I need everybody who listens to TanakhCast to appeal the Oxford English Dictionary to add idolatrize. Thank you. Okay. I think we have also the name of our episode. This is the, the idolatrize edition. Wonderful. All right. Thank give it, so much, give it applause for the idolatrize edition. All right. Thank you, guys. Round of applause. And just so you know, we're going, our hands are clapping, going in a circle because you can't see it. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Send a friend an email to say, hey, you should check out TanakhCast. Or like TanakhCast at the show pages on Facebook or Google+. Or write a brief review at the iTunes Store, Google Play, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's a small thing, really, but it will help other people find TanakhCast. Or if you want to help in a bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast and pledge your shekels, either on a one-time or monthly basis, and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that, and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for episode 101, when we continue in the book of Isaiah with chapters 44 through 47.